Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now. Outstanding. Thank you so very much for tuning in to listen to this segment of the Compassionate Capitalist podcast. And as usual, we have a terrific guest that is going to shed a lot of insights that, uh, and, and really quite, you know, it's proof in the pudding with the success that my guest Ryan Raffles has had with the uh, accelerator, new chip that he founded over in Austin, Texas. You know, he uh, just to set the stage here before I bring Ryan on. I want to, you know, tell the entrepreneurs that are listening. The reason why you want to listen to this whole show is that you're going to hear some insights into what they do and the best practices within the accelerator that has led to over 200 graduates out of 30 different countries that have received over $150 million in funding. It's 17.5 times the average of what most startups receive. And that's a really critical thing because the biggest challenge that entrepreneurs have is what do I do to be able to get the capital and, and, you know, proceed to, you know, bring this innovation to the market and create this highly successful company. And then for the, the investors that are listening in, the fact that they're producing these graduates that are attracting this very um, savvy investment capital from angel investors, family offices to venture capitalists shows that there's a, they know what's going on. And so if you're new to investing, because you're somebody that's, was reading my book or is um, getting started or somebody that just wants to get access to new, new uh, opportunities that have passed the muster, then you're going to want to learn about the demo days that they offer, one coming up soon. And uh, it's just, I'm really excited because whenever I can find a guest that um, has walked the walk and can talk the talk, then uh, that's, you know, uh, harmony <laughs> for me. So, uh, and, you know, truly because, you know, as the definition of, of compassionate capitalist is somebody who invests time, knowledge, resources, and money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market, create jobs and create wealth. And that is exactly what Ryan is doing. So welcome to the show, Ryan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me here today. I really appreciate being on the show and being available to answer any questions and kind of dive into what we're doing. And uh, just honored and blessed to be able to talk about, uh, you know, being able to bring success to entrepreneurs and help them in uh, this global crisis. Yes, yes. And we, we share our, the, a lot of common motivations in what we do. And so this is going to be a good show. But let, let me let me set the stage for folks that don't know who you are. And I've talked a little bit about new chip success through your leadership, but Ryan is a former city commissioner in Austin, turned venture capitalist, partner in VC funds, Journey Venture Partners, and the founder and CEO of New Chip. And after multiple startup exits, he launched New Chip to bridge Silicon Valley level mentorship and investors with startups around the globe. Uh, New Chip Startup Accelerator is a Series A accelerated cohort that helps companies in a broad range of industry focused from Complex things such as stem cell research, 
up to clothing rental, virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial intelligence platforms, both in healthcare and music, app-based travel solutions, CBD projects, digital marketing, and more. Nutria provides entrepreneurs with all the skills and tools necessary to build, scale, and fund the startups from idea to IPO via their online accelerator, their investor funding platform, and their venture funds. And as I said, since 2019, just 2019, they've had hundreds of companies raise um, more than $150 million in venture and angel capital fund. So there it is, Ryan. Please fill in the gaps for our listeners because, you know, serial entrepreneur, elected official, venture capitalist, and now the founder of this highly successful accelerator, that is a crazy journey. So uh, talk about, you know, how you came to be an entrepreneur, how you, you know, learned about these Silicon Valley best practices and, and all of that. Yeah, so I guess I'll start way back, right? My first endeavor uh, would have been a lemonade stand, but my sister already had that market <laughs> corner. Uh, yeah. Literally, the only corner where traffic was, she had that corner. Um, so what <laughs> I did was I actually, I was into gems and minerals. I would actually walk down to the quarry, get rocks, break them open with a sledgehammer, and I would, I parked right next to hers, and if people bought lemonade, I sold them like gemstones. <laughs> um, and That's funny. funny enough, like Cool's Gold, gemstones, whatever they would buy, I would sell. And uh, like that, that basically it was an upsell on that end, right? People wouldn't pull over to buy rocks. Uh, right. Funny enough, actually, <laughs> one time a guy came by and gave us like $200 for the, everything on the table. He probably went and started that crystal movement with, you know, the hipsters and everything else. <laughs> had a whole store on <laughs> But uh, I, I've always wanted to, you know, to to, uh, to build things. To resources for me have always been a means to an end. So I've done many things, and I've had several businesses that were always okay. I needed to get this uh, this capital to the next thing, right? And even New Chip uh, in prior iteration, we had an app and we sold it. Um, was uh, a means to an end to get me to a point where I could invest in companies, invest in technology, and entrepreneurs that I believe in, and really work with them to innovate and change the world. Um, I like to imagine that I'm like Elon Musk light. And so, you know, when he was at 30, uh, he was selling for a billion. I'm not there yet, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, maybe the next year. Um, so, and, and, and I largely, I like to think that I'm a little bit more blessed to work with a lot of companies and, uh, and really my passion has always been in uh, this idea. Well, one, it's space. Two, that I, I think that we have to innovate to make the world a better place. And I think technology does that. And uh, so what we do is, you know, we, we look for companies that we see solving a problem uh, that is a big problem that can be made more efficient with that solution. And uh, that's across every spectrum. And uh, we wanted to also, like, I've been through several accelerators. And, you know, realistically, number-wise, millions of startups launch every year. Out of those millions, only 1,000 get to go into accelerators globally. Like, you know, out of all the accelerators, right, even one of them, there's 100 companies, a couple of cohorts. So I kind of wanted to innovate that model. I said, can we apply a technology SaaS type solution to that where we're taking in a lot more companies, as many companies as the entire world does, and can we do that, like, exactly that? So can we, as a company ourselves, graduate a 1,000 entrepreneurs with the same quality, the same uh, program, the same technology, and just innovate it in a way that we can actually educate that many entrepreneurs uh, per year? And so basically double the amount of innovation. Because, like, out of those million entrepreneurs, most will fail. Uh, accelerators from started companies tend to have better access to mentors, networks, funding, so they tend to have a better success rate. But, uh, you know, oftentimes you look at these, they're only the, the white combinator companies that are solving not a real problem, honestly, 
Uh, I, I saw a joke this morning on uh, Venture Capital. It's one of the best, uh, Capital with a K. It's a joke Instagram making fun of VC. And it was so funny because it had like, it was like two cars. And the, the car on the left is uh, another note-taking app for grocery lists. And the, the note on, on the call on the right is an innovative heart technology that's going to like allow like you to replace valves and hearts. And the VC goes, well, this is nice, but I love my grocery apps. And uh, yeah. it, it was basically a, a, a joke because uh, there's an app that got valued at like $200 million this morning. And uh, I haven't read out much of the news about it, but it's like, come on, grocery apps, right? Like we can do better. And so as a yeah. company, uh, we, we seek out entrepreneurs that are not just in the mm-hmm. Valley that are everywhere else that want access to the same resource, the same uh, amount of like access to mentors, funding, investors, and we give that to them. And uh, we do it in a kind of gauntlet because it's a challenge. So we, we said, can we put this all into a curriculum, a program, and make it extremely intensive? That uh, we, The first couple of iterations, it was three months long, and we found out that nobody could complete it in three months. It was near impossible. Um, so we expanded it to a six-month program. So we're probably one of the longest accelerators in the world. Uh, but we just found that through trial and error testing and taking a data perspective on how many companies we're working with, that we want companies to be successful, right? And so to do that, we had to work with them longer. And so that's what we've done here. We said, okay, we're going to work with you at least six months because that's, that is the minimum it takes to help you get to the funding. The average funding round takes at least one year, 12 months. So yeah. um, it's, you know, we're not even at a year mark for us. And so uh, there's so many companies that get left behind, so many founders. Uh, I'm proud to say that we're one of the most diverse uh, programs in the world. I would like to say we are the most diverse, but there are accelerators that are just focused on diversity. Um, and then about <laughs> almost half of our last cohort was international. And so what I found is fundraising, the tenants of startups, and the standard that we're creating for entrepreneurs and investors, it really is transcendental in that it's, it's across industries, it's, it's industry agnostic, it's across borders. And if we cement this in place, similar to like what Y Combinator did with a couple of things like the safe note and a few things, I think we can cement standards on how due diligence should be completed, um, how companies should look at fundraising, and how they should interact with investors. And I think that we're creating that because our, our investors that we work with are extremely excited to work with our entrepreneurs. Our entrepreneurs know uh, going in to talk with investors, we, we make a requirement that every company read venture deals. They need to know how to be a VC to work with VCs. And so that's just the, the, the light covering <clears throat> kind of where it came from and a summary and less than five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So now as a, an accelerator, it, it applies that it's beyond the idea stage that you might think of in incubator territory, but on your website, you talk about like three different stages of how companies come in and the programs that you offer. So, you know, clarify a little bit about the difference between accelerator and incubator and how you work with the companies that it might be in that true seed idea stage, working on getting an MVP, a minimal viable product up all the way through to navigating this roadmap of how you go to an exit for an IPO or a sell. Yeah, that's a very good point. So uh, we have three different types of programs. Um, our first program is what we call our um, basically pre-accelerator or boot camp or it's really just a course type curriculum. Um, it's a 30 day crash course and everything you know or need to know to be able to kind of get your company to where you can be ready for an accelerator. Um, okay. We offer that through our partner work. People can directly go and access it. Uh, if they're denied, we give them access to that program. It's a very simple program. Uh, it was actually originally, uh, it was a, 
it was a basically it started as a, a week long kind of catch up course to make sure all of our accelerator companies were on the same page when they started. And it eventually evolved into like a, honestly, it's like, it's like six months with curriculum itself. But uh, we really tell people to just knock through it in 30 days and, and get there. Now, um, that's pretty much anyone that gets denied, like, because we want to have open access to everyone. Um, and through that, I think there's like a 200, like, to get access to that program, uh, we, it used to be free, uh, but now we actually require them to donate to our diversity scholarship fund. So it's like a, it's a couple hundred bucks or something, I think, like that. And uh, because we used to give it for free, thousands of people signed up for it, they would not complete it. So what we found right. is if you people to donate to a cause that actually is good. Uh, those people will actually complete the program and learn from it and actually be good companies versus dealing with thousands of people that just sign up and don't know what's going on and they're just lost, right? Um, right. So that was a really strong benefit there. We found that to be, uh, you know, we don't have as many companies signing up every month, but uh, we don't have the, the, the support to handle those thousands of people either. We had in, in Africa alone, we had hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs signing up every month. Oh, sure. And yeah. from that, actually, funny enough, that, that pre-accelerator program was enough to help to start so many companies there. Um, I wish we had the funding to just set that up as a separate com- uh, a program or something that's just focused on uh, like emerging markets because we saw so much growth there. It was just it was intangible for us to actually handle the amount of support requests and people emailing us. Um, it, it's just, it was, it was crazy. Um, and so there's a, such a high demand for education for entrepreneurs. Um, now, outside of that, our actual accelerator programs, we have a pre-seed program, and then we have a seed, and then we have a series A program. Uh, those all have different requirements. Those are all set up on a very, basically, the idea is like, you have an idea, great. You have an MVP, great. And you have some traction. We're here to not really teach the basics as much as you kind of have been working on this for a little bit. You've raised some, you know, some capital. You have a little bit of revenue sometimes. Uh, sometimes they just raise capital. And we're going to accelerate that to the next level. Because, like, you, you and I both know that educating an entrepreneur on the basics often takes failure, often takes sometimes years. And so, you know, I wish we could work with every founder, but largely our acceptance rates. Um, so say we get 1,000 applications in a month. Uh, we whittle that down to, like, 100 companies, I believe. And of those, you know, maybe 50 might end up in the cohort. Um, and so – you know, and a lot of those are they're just not even qualified, right? So probably about a third aren't even qualified. And those that are qualified, we have to whittle down into, okay, this is a good founder. Does it make sense? Uh, does the team believe in them? And then we go from there. Um, and, you know, from that point, uh, we build out our cohorts. We, we built a model where we launch a cohort every month. Um, it's mixed about 25 seed, um, like 25 pre-seed, and about 10 to 15 Series A. Um, all different programs, different requirements. But largely we have, like, like – different advisors and different sets for it. And we do everything as a group. So we believe that, for example, uh, like where some programs are, are focused on your entire group and then they have an ind- like one person teaching that entire group, we have what we call like masterminds that we bring the CEOs in. And actually, we don't work with your co-founders. So compared to most accelerators, I, I've just seen that in, in so many accelerators, the co-founders and everyone else, like the liability of like who's working on what and, the, and who's responsible for what is just a nightmare. And then the point of contacts are all over. So we only work with CEOs. So okay. like if is that is raising capital, you're allowed to attend. You're allowed to come to the, 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 the meetings, do the masterminds, because I want there to be a level of trust. I call our masterminds AA for CEOs. Uh, it's very much you're coming in there. You're talking about very important issues and things that should not leave that room, right? Might be talking right. about buyer, co-founder, an investor issue, a product issue, right? Things that are confidential, 
And we don't really need this whole network of everyone in there and everyone's co-founders. Like, we found there's a much higher trust among CEOs, better camaraderie. And honestly, at the end of the day, uh, co-founders come and go. And I, I, there's some people that are like, okay, your co-founders are going to do this marriage. I'm of the, of the, the belief that uh, you're going to go through several co-founders so you find the right ones. And uh, you need to be able to fire them just like, you, like anyone else. And probably one of the greatest benefits I think I've added to companies is like that saved a lot of businesses. And I go in and I help them fire co-founders left and right. I helped them uh, fire a CFO this last week um, and another uh, a CTO last week. Um, and it's very, very easy to help them do those scenarios. It's like, is this working? Is it not? Where are you in the wrong here? How can we find someone that's better equipped for this, especially in this market right now where there's so many people out of work that would love to jump in in the startup, especially that has capital and, uh, and helping them be successful there. Um, honestly, one of the most, like, you know, people think that my job all day long is like, I'm just magically uh, throwing money at people and having this great life. Where, like, <laughs> oh, I'm just like, it happen. Oftentimes I'm helping people through the difficult scenarios. I'm working with our founders, like the curriculum, the advisors, the mentors handle everything else. I'm dealing with the most difficult scenario where they've given an investor a too much, too much money, right? I'm sorry, or too much stock. And I, and like now the founder doesn't have enough stock to raise more money and I have right. to negotiate the round or I have to handle these difficult conversations or I'm helping them let go of 10 employees in COVID uh, and helping them find jobs for those people. Right. Um, like that's spent most of my time is in the, in the, the worst case scenario. Like I'm trying to save companies from their own mistakes. Like that's yeah. if anyone asked really a job. That's actually what I'm doing. Most of my day is that I don't work uh, before we jump on the call. You asked about the demo day. I handle the company's after demo day in terms of investment, but largely I'm kind of risk mitigation control throughout the program of, Hey, I just hired the agency and I paid them too much money and they didn't deliver anything. I don't know what to do. Right. Like that's yeah. where I come in and I'm like, Hey, let me call them. Let me get that $50,000 back. Let me, let me deal with this. I gotta, I gotta threaten them into like giving a bad review kind of thing. And like, I gotta help these founders out and teach them uh, things and like also help them not make mistakes. Uh, so it's not, right. a, it's not a, not a glorious job, but it's a very rewarding job when I see these companies, you know, a year later. Uh, one of our companies, um, I was so, so proud of them, the Accelerator. Uh, they, they, they made so much progress like, when they first started from when they, when they came in. But it was such a big unicorn market for them um, that I, I didn't think they'd be able to compete. And it was so difficult for them to raise capital. Uh, and then COVID came along the way, and they were the perfect solution in COVID in their city. Like, they literally did exactly, and, like, they raised money, super successful. They're in the middle of closing a round right now. Um, they're, uh, hopefully, uh, I can't say the name right now, but when they close this round, I mean, they'll be a, a household name. And, um, you know, sometimes environmental factors are helpful, but it's one of those things that we had to buckle down when COVID happened. And for over two months, I was every day on the phone with, well, we had about 250 companies in the cohort, or I'm sorry, in the accelerator. And I was on the phone with them, helping them leverage their assets, get their PPP loans, uh, me and my co-founder. Like, I mean, it was, I ended up like sick myself with COVID. Everything was just so crazy at the time. Oh, dear. Because I was wow. so hard. Uh, I mean, you know, I normally work a 60-hour week. I was working 90 hours at that point in time because our companies, they needed it. Like, it was one of those things that we'd never been pressed. Like, it was unprecedented at that point of what to do. And I had to help these founders very quickly, like, move because, you know, like they needed to lay people off immediately. They needed to help them get jobs immediately. They needed to, to close around immediately. And, um, and so it was just a, a two month period where luckily I would like to say that only about out of 250 companies, as far as I know, less than like 5% went out of business. And if I, and that's the, if I look at achievements, it's probably the greatest achievement we've done uh, out of anything like from website, KPIs, you know, that stuff that during COVID we saved 
as many startups as we could that we were working with. And the only ones that really got shut down were like travel, right? Travel like was done. And we did our best to put those companies on hold and they're restarting. Several of those are coming back now online. Uh, now they're rehiring teams, going back to America's Travel is opening up again. Um, and it'll be even bigger business afterwards. But we had to really, you know, like do that. And I, I'm probably ranting a lot on this, but, um, <laughs> one of the, you know, I, I like these podcasts because like people, you know, I don't like to be the guy that's like everything's merry and happy. No, the world is a certain way. And like you, you have these certain views about VCs and what we do and how we live. And like, you're like, oh, you're out in the yacht. I wish I was in the yacht. Um, the most yeah. I, I've been able to sit in the water this year. Uh, this summer, I've been on the boat maybe two or three times, but it's often with my team because we're so exhausted from, like, saving companies. Um, and, yeah. you know, I, I look forward to the work we get to do after every demo day because it's they've done so much work. They've, they've really implicitly, like, put in the value, the time, and everything, and it's, like, culminated in this, this perfect, you know, presentation that we just had to make the intro then to the investor, and they start closing deals. Yeah, absolutely. So we're about halfway through the the show now. I want to uh, just let everybody know, you know, you can get information about this upcoming demo day and uh, all of these different programs, look at their blog, look at their articles, all of that stuff at launch, L-A-N-C-H dot newchip, N-E-W-C-H-I-P dot com. Launch dot newchip dot com is the website. So, Make note of that, if you will. So, <clears throat> Ryan, um, you mentioned this about, because this is kind of interesting, it's leading into, you know, so many of accelerators choir companies to come there for an extended period of time. It's a disruption to their home life if they don't live right there in that city. And it's um, disruption sometimes because they are a going concern. And so how do they, you know, separate themselves out? You created almost like foreshadowing or foresight. You created really much more of a virtual online type of an environment, which would be people continue to get their their training and their coaching and their um, problem solving, you know, remote and stuff. Uh, so how much? I mean, because you have companies that all over the world that aren't located in Austin. So how much of this is face-to-face versus virtual? And, and what, did you know from the very beginning you wanted to do international and that's why you set it up virtual? Um, yeah. So, let me, so I'll kind of explain where I came from. So my first company, um, I, I, it was very, like this is over a decade ago. It was very difficult for us to raise capital. I was very inexperienced. Um, and so I really set out to learn from there. My second company, I raised capital really fast. Uh, we sold it pretty quickly. And my, my third company on the iteration side, uh, when we launched NewChip originally as an app, um, I, I really just wanted to set out to do something different. And so I, I really saw the, the value. So NewChip originally was a, a remote investment platform to invest in startups. Um, and okay. we let you invest in startups all over the world through our app. And we eventually sold that technology to another company, and then we launched the accelerator. But um, when we were that iteration, I raised our capital online and remote, and I used the same method and everything I taught, and I kind of developed a process for it, um, and I worked with our companies, and I helped them do it, and so in that iteration, we helped companies raise like over $100 million as well, um, and we did it through what we called equity crowdfunding at that time, um, and that's now expanded through WeFund or a bunch of other platforms, um, but from that, I learned a process, and I kind of developed, honed, and tested it that could be then implemented for other companies, and I said, this is the future of fundraising. Uh, companies 
are going to have to raise remote. Otherwise, you're going to have to travel and fly, and it's just not possible. Right. Every time. So we had the uh, the foresight to see that this was coming, COVID, mind you, but COVID accelerated this whole process and model. We were kind of perfectly positioned to we've been doing this for years. Nobody else really knew how to, know how to operate in this space. They only know how to operate and how it was, and uh, we were able to capitalize on that very quickly, expand our team, uh, and grow it, and now we have a very large team that is global, and uh, you know, the one thing I didn't know was whether the same processes would cross international uh, lines. And after testing them, they did. We didn't uh, have a, like uh, like as much international focus at the very beginning. We only worked like very high level Series A companies that were international because they had the highest likelihood of you know getting capital, working with them. And uh, and from working with those companies over the last year, we eventually learned that it it works the exact same way as long as they speak English um, and they can work with the VCs. Like it, it, it's very conducive to the same process. And, yeah. uh, you know, the whole back international are, um, you know, is it, are you not trying to operate in the U.S. market? That's the main question for us. If you're an international company, are you looking to operate in the U.S. market? If so, yes, we can connect you to the U.S. investors really long. Uh, we've built up our international network as well, but obviously we can't have a, a network overnight in every single country. Um, and there's not even a network in every single country. But uh, we've built a large network of international VCs as well um, and some of the major hubs, you know, some of the top ten hubs, Singapore, uh, China is actually my number one, but because of everything going on with uh, the investment fund, the, the election, the president of China, um, we haven't relied on it as much because the Chinese have been very careful on the capital deployment side uh, because of restrictions and whatnot. But that was actually probably one of the hardest things for us because my network is a large part of the Chinese, in the Chinese Silicon Valley out in, uh, Silicon, or in uh, Beijing and uh, Shanghai. Really? And Chinese huh. investors are huge into investing in, in U.S. companies. Um, one of the really? reasons uh, blockchain and crypto took off the way it was was it was largely Chinese investment. Um, Chinese investment last year made up over about a third of all VC activities in the U.S. Um, and they already they, they still like you know China and Saudi Arabia and the Middle East make up like over like half of most venture funds portfolios nowadays. Um, so it, it, it's really by portfolios I mean the actual uh, LPs. Um, it's not just old investors you know like the angel investors that succeeded making up the LPs anymore. Uh, a lot of it is international capital. Uh, we've really bridged the, the barriers there. Like there's like this pseudo barrier we still see because of politics, but outside of politics, there's not as many barriers. Uh, but now politics has now become more ingrained in it, right? Uh, the Saudis because of the, that, uh, that uh, assassination, China because you know uh, TikTok and things like that with the political and the government, right? And so it's become a little bit more uh, of a negative outlier. But uh, the capital has always been there and it's been investing. And in my opinion, I've had better success with Chinese VCs than I have had U.S. VCs uh, in terms of, like, good working relationships, um, yeah. willingness to, to be open and adjust and really not have any other um, uh, goals or, you know, anything outside of it besides investing in the market and wanting to see success. I think that China's seeing a not, – not to get on a rant on it, but uh, they're seeing what the valley was, you know, the post-boom uh, back in the 90s. And there's not a lot of uh, burnt uh, people yet, right? Like now crypto burnt a lot of people, but uh, yeah. there's still a lot of enthusiasm, still a lot of capital, and a lot of things coming our way. And fintech's now back up where it was. Uh, blockchain's getting investment again. Um, so we're seeing a lot of changes. But, you know, I, I think that what has been our saving grace is what really made us nervous at the beginning of COVID was our investors going to keep investing. And, in fact, we saw a major increase in what we were doing. And it's really validated and made our business model so much more significant 
given that we're seeing, like, we actually saw a lot of growth in COVID because investors, like, they have to keep investing. Uh, being at home with your kids all day, you're going to throw some money at something, right? And you can't go yeah. on the lake, go on a, right? Might as well throw it at some startup. Uh, yeah. And so. Well, that's, you know, one of the things that I've noticed. And, and you know, to your point about, you know, you having been successful in raising your crowdfunding uh, or raising capital through crowdfunding being a tool that people could raise capital through within that environment. And part of the reason why I wrote my book at the time that I did, you know, basically dusted off my original that I had used to build my angel investor group in Atlanta um, was really for, I expected there would be all this additional capital coming into the marketplace because they, you know, it was sort of this untapped market that it had been kind of hidden behind financial planners, accountants, lawyers, whatever, you know, of people that had the wealth to be an investor, but weren't a part of angel investor groups, you know, so to speak. And, and then even beyond that, as we call the economic democratization, people that maybe aren't accredited investors potentially can get into Reg CF and Reg A plus type companies. And, you know, what, you know, that whole thing, they needed to have the tools to be able to come forward. And um, it's been interesting in so many of your traditional angel groups traditionally have been like, oh, just my backyard. West Coast didn't really think that way, but in the Southeast and the East Coast and Midwest, it's kind of a lot of them are just like, what happens? And, you know, I'm only investing in local companies, but it's perfect storm with what you're doing. And I guess a positive that, that will come out of this pandemic is that because so many of these events are doing virtual, the old model of, of a dog and pony show where the companies kind of had to be local to pitch to local investors, you know, or within driving distance, so to speak, that's out the window now. And so two things that I've seen that I think you're, you know, you're like right in the middle of that is that not only is it allowing um, better companies to come in that are diverse in the type of industry they are, the type of founders that are, that have started that company, as well as the investors aren't having to be limited by their geography and time. They can tune in and watch a show, watch a, a pitch event similar to what you're doing and other companies. And that, and because there's this um, greater sense that these companies are being managed in their, in their growth and going through this, this screening process, I think investors are, a little bit, maybe it's the boredom, but they're also more, they're more accustomed to investing in something that they're not able to sit, reach and touch, uh, but they're comfortable with the other investors that are involved. And so have you found that because, you know, you get, you have this great track record and, um, ha you know, that it sounds like a lot of your investors, not only your offshore investors are completely comfortable with the idea that they may never meet that particular company, but there's, safety in the numbers of your virtual network that are investing and in managing that? Do you see that kind of coming together when you do the follow-up after these uh, sessions? Yeah. And actually the way we designed it. So it, basically we designed our program so that any of our companies, when they meet with an investor for the first time, I want that investor to feel that, wow, this company, how many companies have, or this founder, how many companies have they sold because they knew everything I'm blown away, I, this founder, right? Like I want them, even though this founder is their first time starting a company, 
Um, and I found that you could do that by educating founders and by force educating yeah. them by making them jump through hoops to actually get to where you need them to be. Um, and so certain things that like, you know, like, for example, you've done due dil- diligence and, you know, so oftentimes in due diligence, the company has to make the stuff because they haven't been asked it before. So they don't know what it is. Right. Um, and so we, one of my, my secrets I'd say is that we've got a standardized due diligence we put together. We have our companies like walk through, have it ready so that when they have that first meeting, uh, the moment, like right after finishing that, that meeting, if there's interest, they can send that over and the investor looks through it and we just save two months it's there. It's ready. There's going to be some questions. You're going to go over it, but uh, it's what I call the seven touch process. It's about seven touches to close an investor. And I, be- I believe by, by having the right preparation in place, uh, preparing both your documents, your mentality, your education level, and your knowledge to actually walk in that room, you can cut it in half. And so yeah, yeah. About seven, about three, t- three touches. And then I also believe that you can cut it down from 12 months in a fundraising to six months. And, and that's largely what we propose and what we advertise and what we do, because that's, that's really, I don't like to be one of those people that's like book oriented of like, Oh, I like, this is my process, but that's really the process that I've set out to complete and, 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 and ingrain into our entrepreneurs. And that's part of what our demo day is. And so the investors, uh, if they've never worked with any of our companies before, they're always blown away. And the companies and, and the investors that do invest in our companies, they feel a lot of trust in the network because uh, what we put our companies through, it's a much higher uh, due diligence. It's a process that the founders know more about what they're doing. Um, so it's just a better quality company and founder overall than what they're usually used to, right? Uh, and I'm not saying that every investor like of ours is Andrews Horowitz. We've got a lot of partners that are the highest level, um, big funds, but you know, 99% of investors are not in the Valley. Um, and that means they don't have access to the Valley deals, right? They're not invited to, like 99.9% are not invited to Y Combinator's demo day, right? And uh, just because you're not Y Combinator does not mean you're not a good investment. In fact, we find a lot of great companies that have joined Y Combinator and other top uh, accelerators that are also part of our program uh, because they really focus on a certain area. And we focus on what it takes to build a successful business. Um, we're a bit yeah. old school. We focus on business plans. We focus on having a, a plan to exit, <laughs> right? Um, and, you know, not raising ridiculous capital and having, you know, like unicorn level valuations. Um, we're really kind of back to the basics, which is another thing that happened. I, I saw that coming that, you know, a lot of these VCs are going to go out of business uh, yeah. because they already have you. You can't raise another fund if you didn't make money for people. And uh, what was happening was the VCs were constantly raising more funds so they could be like, oh, I need to raise a new fund. So they would invest in a company, give them a very high valuation so they can say, look, our portfolio value is this you know, uh, of all this value and other, they would help other VCs. It was kind of a tit for tat game and it really hyperinflated the venture markets where companies with no product, no revenue, were getting hundred million dollar valuations. And, um, yeah. you know, honestly, the it's almost, running it. Go ahead. Well, I was just, I'm sorry. Just what you were saying, it's so aligned with so much of what I believe in the principles that I have adhered to for the last 15 years in the work that I do with entrepreneurs and investors. And I'm, I'm sitting here shaking my head on that whole, because the unicorn thing almost turned out to be like a dot-com bubble. It's not completely popped yet, but, but there didn't have the artificial of an IPO <laughs> market. Well, there wasn't, an, there, there wasn't, you know, when they did it back in the eighties, it was, you know, leading into 2000 it, there, they created the, the exit of it. And, and uh, then they collapse, right? Now they don't even have that. You know, once burned, the, the, mar- the IPO markets are not the same because they have been through that. And 
it's um, well, and it's interesting how exactly. I guess it, it's just this. Uh, I don't know. It's like the uh, I saw a presentation Guy Kawasaki did one time, and he talked about like what led to that, and it's a lot of what this unicorn thing. And I'm so glad to hear you talk about it that way. He says, you know, we didn't do research on this next online pet store. We just said the other guy was investing in it, so we better go and find one to invest in too. And you know, it was unsustainable, but we didn't know that we would just had we were just chasing after the deals because we money was chasing after them. And throwing mud on the walls and to see what would stick and not with any kind of real thought process of what really was tangible innovation that could succeed like what you're doing. So really hats off to, um, you know, do it working with what's tried and true. Yeah, I mean, that's how we ended up with a $500 juicer that nobody bought. The million dollar <laughs> AR company, or sorry, the billion dollar AR company that couldn't sell a single product. Um, yeah. and like literally they, they, they raised a billion dollars before they launched a product and, uh, it was like magic leap, total garbage. Um, yeah. and so, you know, what, what people often like, fail to remember and cause entrepreneurs are usually not the most tech savvy or financially savvy people because they're usually just like, I have a problem trying to solve. Right. Um, before the tech bubble, like IPOs was something you, you wanted to get to market as fast as possible to get the liquidity for investors to invest in your company. Uh, the goal was not to raise the value as much as possible so that it, it collapsed when it went public. The goal was to get to market as fast as possible so that the, the public market, when you went on the stock market, would actually increase the value of your company uh, and you would have liquidity there. And so I think that we're actually going to come back to that, to where companies are going to IPO much earlier again, uh, rather than saying, okay, I want to get to a billion dollars. I'll IPO at $50 million, right? And guess what? Like, it, it's all about how people feel about stock because look at Tesla, right? Tesla is like crazy, right? And so if you've got a great PR brand and image, people will continue to invest in that stock, even if you're not making money, because plenty of companies do that. So I, if I have any recommendation for later stage founders, it's I always tell them, go public as soon as possible. If you can go public, go public, because the, the laws and the rules are actually made for earlier stage companies to go public. It becomes extremely expensive when you become a late stage company, but earlier stage companies can go public very easily. Um, actually, under $50 million, it's completely possible to go public for like less than $100,000. Uh, yeah, particularly so, with yeah, Reggae Plus, right? Exactly. The reggae, that, that was the whole point of Reggae Plus. And it's just, it, it's lost because I think a lot of startup investors aren't really public market investors. And they don't really, like, there's a lot of people that don't, like, fundamentally understand economics. Uh, what I see is what happened is the people that understand economics work in the universities. And they don't invest in the stock market because they're not paid shit. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to cuss, actually. I sometimes cuss. Um, <laughs> that was the first time in the program. Right. Um, I mean, um, they usually, uh, like, they're working in universities, right? So the people running the stock market is, like, some, you know, 25-year-old guy that learned finance at, you know, UT, McCombs, NYU, whatever. And they're just kind of trading back and forth. And now Robinhood, a bunch of young people, are fluctuating the whole market. Um, yeah. And it's all based on how they feel versus a lot of data. It's, it's Twitter algorithms saying, you know, so-and-so uh, manager inappropriately sent a message on accident to someone, and now their stock just lost a billion dollars. Um, things like that are, are what really run the market right now and the puts in the calls and everything. And uh, yeah. I, I think if entrepreneurs understood that they could go public sooner, we'd see a lot more liquidity, which I think is going to happen. I really, I was in the Reggae Plus, you know, the business panel of the SEC. I think in the next 10 years, if I had predictions to say, uh, we're going to have a lot more companies focusing on fundamentals, uh, fundraising standards. Like that's what we're doing here at New Chip. I think a lot of accelerators will go out of business because I think the remote model is here to stay. And I think that earlier going public, companies are becoming much more liquid, tradable, uh, driving fair evaluations and, and really being more transparent uh, and diverse is really the future. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we got a few more minutes. I want to tell folks that because clearly the value to the entrepreneurs is evident in your outcomes and what you have explained today. Uh, and I want you know encourage people because you have a, you even have a book that they can get if they go to your um, they go to your website again. It's launch.newchip.com. They can download, subscribe, and download this book. It talks about getting your MVP to market. It talks about the whole, a lot of process. It's a very well done ebook. And then for, so that's the easy side of it. But now investors that are listening, yes, go. You still time. And they, you do these, these launches, what, every quarter or something like that? But they can go uh, every, it's two underneath months. The, every two months. So underneath the accelerator tab, there's a demo day. You can get that uh, and and sign up to attend this virtual conference of these companies. There's, there's speakers that speak like you do have at a traditional conference. I've actually been recorded to be a part of, of one of the programs on there. And uh, there, you know, plus the companies that are pitching. So it's, it's a great benefit. Doesn't cost anything for the investors to participate in that. And how do they follow up or get involved in your network to actually invest in the companies that they're interested in? Or do you aggregate them into a special purpose entity? Yeah, so, yeah, or how do question. you do so that? Sign up for an investor ticket, and our team will set up a, a basically a vetting call to kind of vet the investor to kind of understand if they're a good fit for our network and things and whatnot. Uh, but they can also, uh, if they don't you know, sign up for an investor ticket, they can go on our website, and there's an investor application form. And they can go in there and apply as an investor, and it'll go through the same process. Um, you know, the things we look for in an investor is, have you ever invested before? Do you understand kind of a little bit about what you're doing, right? Uh, if not, we'll kind of send you to one of those other angel groups or someone else to kind of learn. Uh, because largely, we want to help people become investors. But if you don't know, right, sometimes it's not a, a good value for you to meet with a startup uh, that's looking for an investor to work on something, right? Um, and so uh, even if you don't know, apply, and we'll connect you with the groups to help educate you. And regardless, we'll stay in touch as you make some investments and become a professional investor or, you know, just even a seed angel investor as you start to kind of understand it and build your network and uh, become a part of our network itself. And uh, one of the things we've rolled out, uh, and this is actually really awesome, um, and we, this is not, we haven't been really public about this yet, but I guess I'll, I'll mention it today on this as a kind of announcement. Um, we've partnered with a lot of angel groups. We started partnering with individual angels. So if you make an investment in a company and you're part of our trusted investor network, you can actually – Basically, there's a lot of VC firms that do this on the bigger side. They call them finders. And so you can actually, if you invest in a company, like I really like this company, if they meet a couple of minimum requirements, you can actually put them through one of our accelerators. Um, and it's been a lot of value to some of our investors. Like as an angel investor, you're like, hey, I need this company to raise, you know, a million dollars. I'm the first check of 25000 right? Um, they have some traction or maybe, maybe they've raised 200K, maybe 100 or a million. Um, if you're one of our trusted investors that are finders for us, you can actually bring companies to us and become a part of that. And that's been a great uh, value add for us to one, source some of the best companies Two, to a- allow our investors and our network to bring your companies into the program. And, and three it's really helped those investors have more successful portfolios because it kind of came out of the, the fact that the investors were like, man, I've invested in a couple of companies and they need capital. What can you do for them? We're like, dude, put them in the accelerator. Right. And uh, so building that kind of network and that partnership with investors is important for us. And it's, Really, what we're trying to do is just to build a, uh, a network, a community, right, and community, but it's online and remote. And I've been doing that for my whole life. So, Yeah. 
So, and I guess now that we know each other, you'll also be recommending for those new investors to read my book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, right? Yes, 100%. Actually, we need to get that on our, <laughs> our So when we turn down an investor for the network, or just in general, we have investor resources, um, let's, let's follow up on this. I'll get that added to our resource page so that we can send them access uh, to basically Absolutely. go find and download the book. Because, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I believe everyone should do, be experts in what they do. Uh, we are experts and help people raise capital. Um, I know a lot about investing. I've always wanted to help teaching investors, but that is a whole other beast, as you know. And so I yeah. think you can be good at one thing. And it, it's so important for us to have people out there educating investors. And, you know, your book, you helping teach investors how to invest and become better investors is so critical because, you know, like we like to work with good investors. Investors want to be confident in what they're doing. And uh, you know, just like making a standard for founders, setting a standard for investors so that they kind of understand how their allocation should be, how they should invest, uh, where they should invest in, and what they should look for in founders is critical to their, you know, expectations being met. Yes, absolutely. Well, Ryan, that is the time that we have. I thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited to see what happens next week with your, uh, with the launch days or the demo days. And I'm really excited to uh, get to know you and, and be uh, referring companies to you and investors to you. So uh, together we're going to do, you're going to help me, I'm certain, accomplish my goal which is to get net new capital in the market so that uh, in, people that have the liquidity will strive to learn how to invest in entrepreneurism and entrepreneurs the way they strive to learn how to invest in real estate. That investing in entrepreneurs is an asset class that is just as worthy, profitable, and, and in, with additional benefits of that innovation that's coming in the market, the jobs that are getting created. And, you know, that that's something that, you know, everybody that has the means and the ability, you know, depending on their level of risk and their level of access to capital should be participating in investing in entrepreneurs. So I thank you for sharing that and being part of the Compassionate Capitalist Movement. Thank you for having me today. I really appreciate it. All right. And with that, onwards and upwards, and here's our closing segment message. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Please share this podcast. Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist Podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools 
which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a entrepreneur's resource portal providing access to dozens of lenders offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougarand Capital Holdings. It's a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network and our sponsors and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.